Kaya Talk on Kaya 959. On the street, on the air. Right, we start tonight's show in the property market and I'm speaking to an expert in the industry. So we're sitting on record low interest rates. This makes a huge difference, especially when investing in a property. And whilst COVID has devastated our economy, it also pushed the Reserve Bank to drop rates by a whole 300 basis points. And this in turn led many to look for opportunities for first-time home buyers and for those looking at a second property as an investment. But this is a long-term investment, whether you're buying buying to rent or buying to live in, you have to be very careful that you invest in a property that is going to grow in value over time. My guest this evening is Grant Gavin, broker and owner of Remax Panache. A very good evening to you, Grant. Thanks so much for joining me. Nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Lovely to be with you. So we're looking at spotting a good deal, right? So as I say, you know, property is a long-term investment. What is the first thing that we should do before we actually, or in order to spot a good deal. Well, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've got a real estate business, so we do a lot of secondhand residential sales. Um, I've also had a business that bought and sold what we would call flipping properties, which is trying to find good deals in the marketplace. But I think regardless of what you're doing, you know, the old adage of location, location, location has always been fundamental in, in buying a property. However, what we've seen now since uh, in a, in the sort of post-COVID world is that these locations are changing quite significantly as people realize they don't need to work so or live so close to work. So we're starting to identify different hotspots and different areas, you know, away from the city centers, which has been quite fascinating. It's moved more to sort of a lifestyle type purchase. But if if you and I are going to speak about investing, we obviously want to talk about returns. So we've got to look at, are we buying to get a monthly income, a passive income off our property? Or are we buying to invest in something that's going to give us long-term growth? So I think we need to just define the the conversation. Let's break it up, both of them, right? Let's look, I mean, if you, I mean, it's still an investment. Even if you're going to live in your property, right? It's the first property. It's still an investment. I mean, location also applies. It's very important. Yeah. Look, so if you're going to live in a property, um, you know, one of the first books I ever read was uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Incredible book, had a massive impact on me and I'm sure many property investors. Mm-hmm. And he, he taught the lesson very early on that the property that you live in, is a it's a long-term investment, but he actually regarded it as an expense because you're going to be paying for it and you're not going to be making an income off it. However, you and I all know, we all know that if you hold a property for a continuous or a long enough period of time, you're going to build equity and you're going to build a form of equity or an asset that you can use in the future. So yes, I've always believed, I listened to Robert Kiyosaki, mm-hmm. but I also believe that if you buy a property and you hold it for a long enough period of time, it generates wealth because you build an asset or you build an equity in that property. That's right. Um, but in terms of buying a, a second property or additional properties mm-hmm. for the purpose of generating passive income, it gets a little trickier. So in, in my experience, and I only speak in my experience, is if I can find a property where I can put multiple tenants into one property and generate works in smaller apartments in city centers, that's where I've always found that I've got the best cash, positive cash flow investment, uh, if that makes sense. You can expand on that. I mean, if you're okay. buying, okay, go ahead. Yeah, sure. So let's take an example of in a Durban city. Uh, so I, I can, again, just give you an experience. Mm-hmm. I bought a property for 320000 there about 10 years ago. It was costing me 3000 rand a month. But due to the sectional title rules, I was able to place six people or six tenants into a three-bedroom property. And the net effect for me in having people who were prepared to live 
you know, sort of two people in a room or sometimes even in a lounge. And being able to get six people into one apartment, my income was 6300 a month and the bond was 3000 So on a monthly basis, I was making an income of 3300 rand. And you cannot get that in a normal residential property when you're just renting out, for example, to a family in the suburbs. Does that make, does it make sense how I've explained it? Yeah, so it does make sense. But I mean, if you, uh, I mean, not everybody is going to want to put so many people there. Some people would buy the property and, and you know, later on decide, okay, it depends on who's actually biting, who actually wants to rent the property. So you could actually get somebody renting a property if it's just maybe a couple or even a single person. But I mean, having a property, how long before you actually start seeing a return on investment? So you, in, in other words, you're not always going to get double what you're paying on the bond. No, you know, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I was speaking specifically on what we're trying to what we're trying to get from our investment. So mm-hmm. that for me was specifically a passive income. Obviously, we've also had properties where we're putting in ordinary, you know, single person or, or, or families into a a more residential type apartment. Then, as the investor, you're more than likely going to be putting in because your bonds generally going to be more expensive than the rental that you're getting in. But again, if you hold it for a long enough period of time, and and most people are financing bonds over twenty to thirty years. Years, you know, you could be holding it for a good 10 to 15 years before mm. you even start seeing any form of income coming off that in a, in a positive cash sort of um, investment. So even if you're not renting it out, you know, to a family or to, you know, a group of people that decide that they want to live together, maybe students, for instance. What if you are actually looking at buying a second property because you want to get into the market? You do want to look at a long term investment. You also want to get a bit of an income. You could be looking at maybe an occasional rent out. What about like an Airbnb? Yeah, well, of course, that's changed dramatically since uh, COVID as well. And you know, Airbnb was an incredible opportunity, particularly in your sort of coastal holiday type towns or, or villages. That was very, very successful. Um, and the, the rental that was coming out of that was incredible. Um, I haven't really followed it since since after the sort of, in our sort of post-COVID world. Um, when Airbnb just became something that wasn't wasn't possible. But again, if you can get a property that wherever there is high demand to use that property in a lifestyle type of area, where you're able to do weekly weekly rentals as opposed to, or daily rentals as opposed to monthly rentals, then then generally you do get a better a, a better rental. But you do also run the risk that that property stands empty for for periods of time. I mean, you know, going back to what you were saying, that it's quite tricky. These are some of the things that we also need to consider. So, firstly, the bond payment because you have to pay that on a you know on a regular basis and also if you're renting it out you've got to also maintain the property um if you're doing a long-term rental that's not easy especially if you're having tenants that you know move in and out or ha- or are having parties all the time or destroying some of your furniture or the cupboards Absolutely. you know um so how do you manage that Look, you mentioned something that's so important. The maintenance cost is actually something that most landlords will forget about. It's almost like that hidden cost. Your, your typical cost would be your bond, your bond repayment. You know, the tenants are going to pay the electricity and the water. Uh, generally, if you're in a sectional title complex, the landlord's going to be responsible for the levies. So if you've got if you've got high levies in, in a complex, you know, you, the landlord's going to be paying that as well. But you're so right. Maintenance. Every time a tenant moves out of a property, they've got to put it back into a, a, 
the condition in which they found it, that's all well and good. But over time, a property deteriorates as well. So the landlord has to know that he's going to have to, he or she is going to have to put money into that property probably every five years, you know, whether it's a, a paint, paint work, whether it's a work being done to the gardens or the roof. But if you allow it to deteriorate and you don't keep up with that maintenance cost, then it becomes way more expensive down the line. My guest is Grant Gavin, and he is a broker and owner of Remax Panache. And if you've just joined us, we're talking about how to spot the right property to invest in. What is a good deal? Talking about the location as well. So you also have people taking up the opportunity because interest rates are so low. They're also looking uh, looking out for an opportunity to buy a second home, maybe uh, you know, like a holiday home. There also you have an issue of not renting it out on a regular basis, but somebody taking care of it. I mean, what what is the cost that goes with an, a rental agency, an agency that actually takes care of all of these things on a regular basis so that you don't need to deal with it? But when you want to go and visit your holiday home, you can go and you know it's still standing. We spoke about um, Airbnb a little earlier. I know the going rate on Airbnbs, if, if managers were getting involved, was, was 20%. Um, but, you know, if you're going to a rental agency, you have different types of, of rental agents. You have, you know, those who will manage the property for you on a monthly basis, on a residential basis. You have those that will just, you'll pay to find a tenant and then you manage it on a monthly basis. And then you have holiday letting, which is completely not in my sort of area of expertise. Mm. Um, but if you're going to be buying a second property and you're not going to be living in the city or town where that property is, um, it's highly advisable to take that cost, that management cost. Um, it just saves you all sorts of headaches. And, and there really is great value that those property managers will add to, to your investment. The last thing you want is to be in Johannesburg, for example, and your mm. property in Belito has now been ransacked and, and, and nobody's able to help you or or there's a problem with the property. And, you know, it, just having that person on the ground is, is worth every rand and cent that you'll pay because your property is such a massive investment. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to, I mean, if, you, if you're just looking at buying maybe a unit and renting it out, so you say, you know, try and stay in the CBDs? Well, it depends. Um, so I was talking specifically if I want to maximize the cash that I'm going to get off that investment. I want to be close to Technicons, universities, Students are, are a really great market. You also have other things like in our area, we've got the, the local, the Virginia airport, uh, and there's a pilot school. Mm. And, and the pilots all get together and they and the, the student pilots, they get together and they rent together as well. So student accommodation is, is also something to look at. But anywhere where um, there's a high demand for people for accommodation, and I know that's a very loose statement, um, but everything works on supply and demand. So where you've got a high demand for accommodation in an area, again, something central, you close to the universities and the technicons, you're also close to places of work as well. So so always going to be a, a higher demand for accommodation in, in city centers. If you are looking at investing in, in this type of property, um, you know, in the city center, I mean, would it be advisable for you to be close by? As the landlord? Yes. So yes and no. Yes, if you're not prepared to use or to pay somebody to manage it for you. But if, if you are, if you're willing to, if you're able to do it yourself, then, and you're living close by, then it's, it's perfectly fine. But I'll, I would advise against buying in an area where I haven't, where I'm not there physically and I don't 
and I don't want somebody to be managing it for me. And I'll give you the most extreme example. Um, a very good friend that I met when I lived in London, he came back to South Africa and he didn't want to pay an agent in London to look after his property and we were living in Cape Town and the tenants um, completely ransacked, destroyed mm. his house. He had to take three months off work here in South Africa to travel back to London to go and fix the place himself. And for me, right. that was just such a massive lesson. It was such an extreme lesson of, of, of how it can go wrong. So what would you advise? You take care of everything by yourself? I've always, I mean, I'm, I'm in real estate. I've mm. never sold a house of mine privately. I always use an agent. And I've never rented out a house of mine privately. I always use an agent. I just, I know the value that they add when things go wrong. They're almost like mm. the, the concierge of that property for you. They'll just look after everything for you. What about, uh, I mean, we spoke about maintenance. What are the other things that we tend to miss when we're looking at, um, at getting into an investment property? I think the vacancy factor, um, you know, when you're moving from lease to lease, you always just assume that tenant A is going to move out and tenant B will move in on, on the following month. But quite often it doesn't happen like that, where you might have two, sometimes three months of your property standing vacant, mm. which means you're covering the cost of the bond and the levies for two to three months that you didn't factor, factor into the equation. So it's always good to just, I wouldn't say assume the worst, but never assume that you're just going to go straight from one tenancy to the next. There may sometimes be a month or two where you're going to carry the cost, which is something that people often don't, don't think about. And um, unfortunately, there's also the risk as a, as a landlord that your tenant doesn't pay, either the rental or the electricity account. And you may end up chasing somebody out of a property and they're two months or three months behind on the rental. And so that's that almost like bad debt that, that you also have to factor in that it will happen every now and then. So if you're moving away from a CBD and you say you want to buy in, in maybe a suburb close by, would that be a good idea as well? Yes, and I think that's what you're seeing quite a lot at the moment. Um, you know, again, post-COVID, people have realized that they don't have to be working close to the office because they're not going into the office all the time. Mm. We've definitely seen a movement away from the, the sort of inner cities to a more lifestyle-type living um, environment. So, you know, those are the opportunities to spot right now is where are people going? Where is the demand shifting? And I, I, I know in that article that, that I wrote recently, there, there's two areas in, in Natal that we've seen this. One is the Natal Midlands, uh, where people are moving out into the Midlands because they're wanting the lifestyle of living of living in, in that sort of stress-free environment. And the other is the North Coast, which is just a shift a shift up from Durban and Schlanger up to the sort of Belico Salt Rock areas. Those are the two areas where people are going to live because they know they can work from home or they don't have to be in the office every single day and they're electing to or they're choosing to, to buy in a lifestyle environment. That actually makes sense. Uh, but I mean, if you're looking at, at Johannesburg, if you're looking at Gauteng, I mean, uh, there's no coastline here. Uh, and um, I mean, like, unless you're going to move closer to the bush, I mean, what would be the up and coming suburbs or the good suburbs to buy and where you know you are going to get value? Well, I don't know Johannesburg at all, so I'm sorry, I can't comment on, on the Johannesburg market. But again, I would watch where the demand is going. So, you know, where are rental prices going up? Uh, where are the, the good opportunities there? Where are mm. new schools and shopping centers being built? I think that's also always a good indication. Quite often you'll see a massive shopping center being built and you think to yourself, why on earth are they putting a shopping center there? Uh, but for me, what I've noticed over the last sort of 20 years is whenever a big shopping center goes up, it's almost a predeterminant of, of where the demand is 
is going to be coming because they, the, the municipality and the authorities, they know what development is coming into the future. Yeah. So they put the shopping center there first and the, and the services. So the shops and the transport nodes, very important as well. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing a big tick up in the north coast as well. Apart from the beach, the airport is in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're still going to see the benefit of that. Um, but I'll never forget when, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Gateway Shopping Center in Atlanta. Yes. Mm. So when that's, what, 25 years ago. But when Gateway was built, so many people were like, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a white elephant. No one's going to use it. Why are they building such a massive shopping center there now? But you've seen what's happened over the last mm. 25 years and how the area's grown. So that's a good indicator of where areas are shifting is if a massive shopping center uh, gets get built and and schools as well which is really nice because you see the trend moving into that mixed use development so you have a lot you have a bit of accommodation residential and you have um you have businesses shops retail stores so you're seeing that mixed use development becoming more popular as well and as you say i mean it's a good buy in uh, those kind of areas because people want to be close to everything now they don't actually want to travel out to shops yes yes and i mean that trend has been uh, there's been a trend towards smaller accommodation as well from an affordability perspective and also I think from a security perspective I mean, we all know if we're all living close together we feel more secure but I think the trend has been to war away from larger freestanding homes and towards smaller more accommodation, if that makes sense. Gavin, thank you so much for your time this evening. Thanks for chatting to us. Uh, Grant Gavin, broker and owner of Remax Panache. And uh, yeah, we're talking about how to spot the right property. Some really interesting advice uh, coming through there. Kaya Talk, Monday to Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. on Kaya 959. On the street, on the air.